Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends. When I first started this podcast, I approached people to ask, can I interview you about your sex life? And they looked at me like I had three heads. (laughs) It makes sense. It's a topic most people don't talk about freely, and I had no track record to prove to them that the conversations would be handled with sensitivity and discretion. So the first batch of episodes is made up of a lot of conversations with people from my sex-positive community and others in the sex education field. Those early episodes did an amazing job in demonstrating my vision and prompting other women to contact me to say they wanted to do interviews. But I also learned pretty quickly that listeners weren't interested in the conversations with sex educators. I got numerous emails from people saying the same thing. I don't want to listen to someone telling me what they figured out and lecturing me about how to get there. I want to hear people talk about being in the middle of their mess, just like I am. Now, if you go to the website page where you can contact me to be a guest, which, wink, wink, is at goodgirlstalk.com forward slash guest, by the way, If you go to that page, you'll see a note that says, I no longer interview sex educators, except by invitation in specific cases. Those are cases where the person involved has a story that I feel is important to tell, and I don't have an avenue to a non-sex educator who could tell that story in the same way. Episode 67 with Jocelyn is a great example. She's a sex worker who does sex surrogacy work. No one can tell that story except a person who is actively working in the sex field. Today's guest is Kaz. I invited Kaz on the show because their health history doesn't just impact their sex life tangentially, it is completely intertwined with their sex life. Kaz is a disability activist and is particularly involved in education around sexuality for people with disabilities, including kink activities. Kaz is a 40-year-old non-binary person using they-them pronouns who was assigned female at birth. They describe themselves as queer, non-monogamous, and single. They've had a hysterectomy, so they no longer have a period, but believe that hormonally they're probably perimenopausal. They grew up in the United States and describe their body as curvy. I am so pleased to introduce Kaz. Kaz, I'm really excited to have you here today. 
we know each other a little bit, but we've never actually had a real deep conversation, certainly not of the type we're going to have today. So thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for having me, Leah. Absolutely. So I want to set this up with a couple of requests. Part of the reason that we're going to talk today is that you have a lot of physical and medical things that you deal with that I know almost nothing about. And um, I also know that you are non-binary and that language is really important to you. The way that things are communicated is really important to you. So I would like to ask you that if I mess up, (laughs) if I say things incorrectly, I'd like you to let me know so that I can learn and so that the audience can learn with us. Is that something you're cool with? Absolutely. All right. Great. Thank you. So let's start. I start every interview in the same place, which is what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Um. I was probably four or five, and I got busted masturbating in the living room. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) And I got told, um, we don't do that here. We do that in our bedrooms. And so it was a pretty positive experience, except I got up to go to my bedroom, and they were, (laughs) my parents were like, what are you doing? So they didn't shame you, but they also didn't necessarily give you like the, yeah, go ahead and do that. Right, exactly. (laughs) And there would be, I I can think of a lot of instances um, before I learned how to like quiet things down where um, they would, you know, I'd hear being yelled down the hallway, cut that out, stuff like that. (laughs) So even though it was somewhat positive, it was not... um, assuringly positive. It was not encouraged. It was definitely discouraged. Hmm. And what did that leave you with? Was there shame or was there just a sense that this is something I need to keep separate? It wasn't shame. It was a sense of how can I do this so that I don't keep getting yelled at? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I didn't feel shame around it. I just felt like it was something that I had to sort of sneak my way around into doing Mm -hmm. and no one explained to me you know I didn't get I didn't get a talk at all at any age so I wasn't told what what I was doing I wasn't told what was going on I was just um, continually being busted for doing it (laughs) so you said that started when you were around four or five you think I believe this was before I was in kindergarten, so I would have been four or five. Yeah. Do you have a recollection of whether you came to something you would now recognize as an orgasm? Uh, So I was not able to reach orgasm until uh, I was about 30. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like continually frustrated and I knew that it felt really good, but it never went anywhere. Um, and so definitely no orgasms at a young age. Yeah. When you were that young, did you have a sense that there was something you were building to, but not getting to, or was it just like, Oh, this feels really good. And I'm happy with what it is. 
Um, as I got a little bit older, I started to realize this is going somewhere, but I can't quite figure out where it is going, nor can I figure out how to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I started becoming sexual with a partner that I started realizing like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you when you started becoming sexual with another person? Uh, 13, 14. Yeah. And what was that experience like for you? It was very positive. So receiving pleasure was something that I didn't know anything about for my body. And fortunately, my partner and partners eventually knew what they were doing. Mm. And that was both eye-opening and eye like crushingly closed for me. Um, (laughs) It was, it was great. Um, On the other hand, uh, I, I was molested when I was young. And so Mm -hmm. I had um, a great deal of difficulty reciprocating. Mm. And then when it came to having intercourse, I had a great deal of pain and it took me a long time to figure out what was going on with, with the pain and everything. Did you have memories of the molestation? I, so there were stuff that happened when I was around before four. And then um, again, when I was 11, and I definitely remember when I was 11 and the early developmental stuff is, is a total, (laughs) It's just black, Mm -hmm. blacked out. I have no memory, which is good, but also troubling. Yeah, I I, I am fairly sure that I was not physically molested. Uh, There was a lot of sexual impropriety going on in my home. Um, But I also have massive dark spots in my memory. And I spent so many years just obsessed with the idea of recovering what might have happened to me that can be so painful. And yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sorry that you've been through that as well. Thank you. Um, I'm lucky. I got a really good therapist in the past Mm -hmm. several years and, you know, we've reached early on this point of, well, if you can't remember, but this is how you've behaved since that age. We're going to go with mm-hmm. it happened and, you know, do some care around that, but without having the specific memories, um, we're just going to do like kind of a basic, I don't even call it a reparenting of the self to learn to trust other people and, and feel comfortable. Yeah. I remember in college, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the book Courage to Heal. It was a very big deal back in the 90s. And there was, um, I think there was like a workbook. There were several different versions of it. And I remember in one of them, the thing that made the most sense for me was this idea that if somebody breaks into your house and like tosses your closets and all your drawers, you don't wait to find out who did it and how before you start cleaning up the mess. And you may never find out who did it and you're still going to clean up the mess. And that made a lot of, that was helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so you, you mentioned that when you had your early consensual encounters, that yes. they were really painful. Are you talking specifically about penetration or about other things as well? Um, so penetration was always really painful. Um, but I also um, have had always very sensitive clitoris. And so too much direct stimulation is painful. And I had to learn through trial and error and different partners who knew better about what they were doing, <laughs> uh, how I could be touched without it being painful. Mm. I'm going to be curious to hear more about that, hopefully, as we go on. <laughs> but I have a bunch of other questions first. Um, so you've mentioned a couple times now that you had partners who more, knew more than you did. Does that mean that you were engaging with people who were significantly older than you? Not at the time. So at that time, it, it was within a year or two age difference. And they knew how to touch a... a vagina vulva the whole situation that's very impressive it's well you know it didn't come that soon let's just say that it took a few years and some different partners <laughs> to get to that point <laughs> uh, and do you think now looking back on that time that the pain around penetration was that because I, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but I know you also have physical issues. Was that related to physical medical stuff or was that related to emotional and physical storage of the earlier trauma? I would say that it was both. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's so hard to separate them. Of course. And I eventually reached a point in my I'd say around 20, where things were less painful. But that's also around the time that I started experiencing um, a physical numbness. And I feel like I, they sort of balanced each other out. <laughs> like it doesn't hurt so much, but also now I have less sensation. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a hell of a trade off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's sort of address the physical medical stuff so that then we have that as a base for the rest of the conversation. And quite frankly, I have no idea what questions to ask you. So I'm just going to open the floor and I'll ask questions to clarify as we go. Okay. Oh, boy. Um, do you want it in chronological order? <laughs> sure, whatever is the easiest for you. Okay, so when I was 21... I was having a really amazing one night stand and I'm hyperflexible and I had my, my legs wrapped around my neck hmm. while I was being fisted. Wow. Not only were my legs wrapped around my neck, but they were being held backward. So it's extra pressure in the pelvic floor mm -hmm. and the next day I was like, Whoa, I'm in so much pain. Well, that should probably be expected. You know, I was <laughs> just 
I have this experience, but the thing was, is the pain was excruciating and it had nothing to do with my genitals. It was in my, at the time, what, what I was referring to is the left buttock of, of my ass. It was, it was just, I'd grown like a grapefruit sized lump overnight mm. in my butt. And I was already in physical therapy. So I went to my physical therapist and like, I have this new <laughs> problem. It really hurts. Did you I say that I just got fisted last night with my legs behind my head? <laughs> I did not. I did not. I don't think that would have gone over well considering. Um, and it just got worse over the years. And um, that injury sparked when I started feeling uh, numbness. So it's like really, it's vaginal, but it's also clitoral and it's um, along the left side of my mom's boobus. Mm. So basically like the whole left side is just numb Mm. and it's not fully numb, but it's, it's, it's not, I don't feel sensations the way I ought. Mm -hmm. So that increased and the pain increased. And nine years later, I finally found a doctor who was like, oh, we know what's going on with you. And it turns out I had torn the cartilage in my left hip Mm. and that injury and the length of time that I had it spurred other injuries. So it caused me to tear holes in my uh, ligaments. It grew a a giant bursa on the side of my hip. Mm. I had an impingement. I I forget what else I had. It's been a while at this point. But my my whole leg was fucked up. Mm. It was just, it was terrible. So I had surgery and the surgeon said I had the most amount of inflammation of any patient he had ever seen. Mm. And, but when I woke up from that surgery, I was like, oh my God, it's gone. It's gone. It's not the pain meds. It's gone. And it really was for a couple of months. And then I came back Mm. and it hasn't gone away since. And the surgeon said that it's probably uh, basically muscle memory. Mm. So after having had the injury for so long, um, my body just can't seem to figure out how to reset itself. And the reason this is important sexually is because the, you remember that old song, the hip bones connected to the (laughs) knee bone or whatever. Yeah. So I love, I love playing the a riff on this is like the, the hip bones connected to the pubic bone <laughs> and the musculature crosses from the hip flexor across the pelvis. And the, that's where your pelvic floor is. And a lot of people have issues with their pelvic floor and I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. And it all stems from this hip injury. So I have a, what's known as a hypertonic pelvic floor, which means my pelvic floor is super, super tight and causes pain unto itself. But then I also have a condition that's very rare called pudendal neuralgia. And the pudendal nerve comes off the sacral nerve root and it has three branches it goes into and AFAB people, so people who are uh, born female and assigned female at birth, the three branches are in the clitoris, the vagina, and the anus. Mm. And I had, or have rather, um, damage along all three branches. Oh. And it stems from 
the hip injury and all of the, the muscles and the ligaments and everything getting all tight and this, this something of I wish it was a doctor sometimes something about the way <laughs> the sciatic nerve goes through the piriformis muscle and and I don't know basically everything below the waist is kaput mm. um, and then I in addition have which I mentioned a bit earlier I have a condition called I always mispronounce this. I think it's clitorodynia, but it might be dynia. And that is when your clitoris is painful. And mine is painful because I have, um, it's overly sensitive. And then I have the hood sticks in one spot. So it doesn't refract Mm -hmm. all the way. And so that's painful. And then I have little keratin growths and, the rubbing of the hood over the growths leads to too much friction and it's painful. Wow. If somebody knew how to touch your clit in a way that didn't activate all of that, is there pleasure for you there? Or is, yeah, there is. Okay. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it must be a real fine balance between pleasure and pain. Yeah, it is. And that's definitely part of how I've gotten involved in, in kink mm-hmm. is where does the pleasure reach too painful that it's no longer pleasurable? Well, I know what that line is, but at the same time, there's pleasure and pain at the same time. Mm-hmm. So might as well enjoy both. Yeah. Recently, I told you about the erotic storytelling app, Dipsy, and I've been using it a lot lately. My partner has been working out of town for up to two weeks at a time, so I've had a lot of time on my own to explore. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. What I love most is that each story is like a radio play. I'm fully immersed in this scene, and you hear everything, including the climax. And there are stories that will get you going no matter what your preferences are. Vanilla, kinky, twosomes, threesomes, moresomes. There's lots of queer material, including people all over the gender spectrum. There are even stories where the main character is talking to you, so you can imagine yourself directly into the scene. Currently, my favorite series is Lecture Me, featuring teachers and students, all of age. You'll find it in the categories In Public, Off Limits, and Dirty Talk. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash goodgirls. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash goodgirls. That link is in the show notes. So go to dipseastories.com slash goodgirls today. Let's go back to, you have this one night stand. And it sounds like there was a lot of pleasure involved in that. When you started having pain and then started having other sexual partners, 
how how did you and they navigate that pain discomfort that you were having well after that one night stand about a month later i entered into a relationship with someone so i was 21 and he was 40 and we were together three four years something like that mm-hmm. um and he wasn't really concerned with my pleasure so ah, that's one way charming <laughs> yeah um and then it was an abusive relationship and i rebounded quite heavily out of that into another one mm. um, which lasted 2006 to 14 mm-hmm. and Again, that was uh, another instance of this person wasn't particularly sexual, at least didn't have as high as a need or desire for it as I do Mm -hmm. and did. And so we never really got down to the process of, you know, what's a good way to, for me to be touched. It was, it became more of a, okay, where's my toys? Yeah. I'll find my toys now. (laughs) And then. And then the person would, would be like, why are you doing that? I'm like, cause I need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was there any shame in shaming in that? Definitely a bit from his side. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to incorporate toys into our time together and he's like, yeah, absolutely. No, that's not happening. Mm. And that was devastating for me because it was During this relationship, toward the end of it, that I finally realized, oh, hey, here here I can orgasm. Mm. I know how to orgasm now. It's really difficult, but I can get there. And wow, have I been missing out. (laughs) And so now that's what I want to happen, um, or at least to try and get there. And my partner at the time was just like, yeah, no, we're done. (laughs) So how did you, what was the process of learning how to orgasm for you or what changed? You know, I hate to, anyone listening, I don't recommend this. (laughs) Um, Okay. I was on Effexor. I'd been on a really high dose of Effexor and my doctor started weaning me off of it. So I'd been on 400 milligrams a day. Is that a painkiller? No, sorry. That's an SSRI. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's for depression. And I'd been on more than is recommended. Mm -hmm. And uh, SSRIs can cause a lot of sexual difficulty. And I'd been on Effexor since I was 20. Mm -hmm. So we started, the doctor and I started weaning me off. And I even though I was getting depressed as we were coming off of it, I wasn't telling my doctor that I was getting depressed because my sex drive was like, hello. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was great. And the lower the dosage I, I got, the, the more stimulation I was able to feel. Mm-hmm. And so then through that, 
process and my exploring with my own hands and uh, vibrators, I was able to finally reach orgasm. And I remember talking to a friend of mine during that time frame and telling her, I don't think I've ever had an orgasm. Mm. Um, what is it like? Because like, I know what people say they're like, and my body just reaches a point where it's too painful. Mm. And she's telling me what it's like. And like, that sounds really fantastic. I don't know why I can't get there. And as the medication came down and I started being able to get there, sometimes there's pain involved with getting there and sometimes there isn't, but I generally consider it worth the process of the trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I have had to make the conscious decision several times in my life because I've been on an SSRI for the last 14 years. Um, it has saved my life without question. At the same time, I know that my libido and my sexual sensation are suppressed. And I continually have to make the, the decision that for me, my mental stability at this point in my life is more important to me than being able to orgasm easily. And there are moments when I wonder if I am ready to shift, like if I'm ready to make a different decision, but, uh, thus far I have not. And, and I, I have been thinking lately, like maybe I should try a different medication and see if I can get the same effect without the side effects or not. But I think it's something that a lot of people deal with and and we don't talk about nearly enough. So I'm glad you brought it up. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Um, so There are multiple things happening here. You have medical issues. You've just started learning how to orgasm. Sounds like you're near the end of an abusive-ish relationship. Um, Somewhere in here, I know you also discovered that you were non-binary and you discovered BDSM. So, or kink. Sorry. Okay, no. No. I've known that about myself since I was a kid. Oh, okay. Do tell. (laughs) Um, So a lot of people have a origin story for kink. I don't. I know that my first sexual fantasies that I can recall involved kink. And Mm. I was in third grade. So that would have been eight. Do you remember what the fantasy was? (laughs) I do. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Uh, it involved, there was a beach and there were genderless headmaster type people, Mm -hmm. taskmasters, really not headmasters, taskmasters. And this feels weird saying girls, but I was a girl at that age. I was young. Um, but so I was fantasizing about, um, girls around my age who were on the beach and they each had their own bathtub and in their each bathtub, they were masturbating Mm -hmm. and the taskmasters were there to say, no, you can't stop. You have to keep going. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, that's the first fantasy I can recall. Yeah. I remember taking a class, uh, as I was starting to explore the kink scene where the teacher talked about how 
Often we can trace our kink fantasies back into childhood, but at the time we didn't understand that that's what it was. And I was like, oh my God, that's why I, and this, I still can't, like, can't even wrap my head around how this happened. But that's why when I was about nine years old, I asked one of my friends to tie me up and spank me. (laughs) And she looked at me like I had three heads. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So at what point did you start incorporating something that you would now call kink into your actual play with other people? 14. Mm -hmm. And what did that look like? You know, neither of us knew what we were doing. (laughs) And we didn't have a talk beforehand about boundaries or um, safe words or any of the things that really need to be discussed. Um, I just got a pair of handcuffs put on me and I was just like, oh, okay, here we go. (laughs) Did your partner know that that was something you would be into or did they just do it? Oh, okay. No, we we had... I think weeks prior just been talking about fantasies and that had been one of them. Mm -hmm. And, but it was, it was at the time it was a surprise. Like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Was it fun? It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Did you continue exploring kinky activities with that partner or with other partners? Uh, With other partners. um, By the time I was 15, 16, I had a partner who loved being tied up. Mm-hmm. And so that was something we would incorporate as much as possible when, when mom was asleep. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then from there, uh, I started exploring more of the pain route, both giving and receiving. Mm-hmm. Was pain as pleasure something that immediately made sense to you or did you have to sort of mentally and emotionally work your way into that Uh, it immediately made sense to me and if you if you want to include this in in the recording that's fine I'm fine with that but it might be triggering for some people Mm -hmm. so um I had been self-harming myself Mm. around the age of from 12 to 15. And I had figured out that the endorphins that you would get from self-harming came from the pain and the, the exhilaration and all these other chemicals happening in your brain. And Um, I started to realize like, this is pain management. Mm -hmm. And I switched from harming myself in that manner to um, navigating consensually painful practices. I actually think this is an incredibly important conversation to have. Has there ever been a time when the consensual kink activities or the consensual pain led you back in the direction of self-harm or once you made that switch did you stick with the consensual activities with other people so i would say once making the switch i didn't go back to laying hands on myself i had other activities that were harmful like with eating patterns, um, as I got older with drinking, 
um, things of that nature, but not in the classic sense of self-harming. Yeah. I have a question and I, I really don't have any idea how to ask it. Um, what do you think you were getting out of the self-harm that you then got out of the, the kink activities? Yeah. So what I was getting from the self-harm was emotional regulation. It was, I would start up I was so high in anxiety, depression, um, phobias and panic. And just, I was a, a mess. Um, I was agoraphobic. I couldn't leave the house and I was having flashbacks and really intense PTSD. And I was using, um, self-harming techniques. I preferred that to taking a Xanax, mm-hmm. which of course, none of my providers approved. Of. <laughs> did your providers know that you were self-harming? They did. Okay. Yeah. And, and again, don't practice what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is not meant as endorsement or instructions, but I do think, again, I think it's important to talk about because it is so yeah. rarely talked about. So go on. Yeah, so from, I wouldn't say I was learning emotional regulation, but I was getting emotional regulation. I was receiving a calming mm-hmm. effect. Yeah. Um, and around the time that I got out of the self-harming, I got into the more partner-based BDSM practices. And that gave me the same thing, not just a regulation of my emotion, but also a greater sense of control of my life. Mm. And, you know, sometimes when people self-harm, they're looking for control. I know when I was 13, especially, there would be times when I would hurt myself and kind of flaunt it in front of my mom. Mm. Like, well, what are you going to do? And then she would just ignore the fact that it was happening because she didn't know what to do. And so that made me feel like, well, at least I have control over this in my life. Yeah. And getting away from that, but finding ways of controlling at least my kinky sex life was uh, a really uh, important step for me in finding ways that I could start to assert myself that felt safe. Mm. Anytime I have a conversation with somebody who's involved in kink on this podcast, um, it always feels so important to like talk about how people think that kink is like this depraved activity and you must be mentally unstable when in fact, so many people are getting such positive benefits from it. Not to say that everyone will, but for the people who engage in it, it can be really profound, profoundly healing in some instances. I'm really glad that you found something that works for you. Thank you. Yeah. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think, it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, 
I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There's no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you and we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM or consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling intimate life and together we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free, no obligation discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. How did you learn to start doing things like um, negotiation <laughs> and all of this stuff that goes along with making kink a safe activity or a safer activity. <laughs> well, um, borders, books, and music <laughs> <laughs> yeah. used to have, uh, so the one near me was quite big and they never kicked me out of the sexuality section, even though I was clearly <laughs> underage. And so I spent a lot of time from a young age in the sexuality section, in the G um, LGBT section, um, sometimes in the women's studies, because in, buried under women's studies would always be the sexual assault stuff back then. Oh, yeah. So I was always in those shelves that department and it had a little alcove and so I would just disappear for hours at a time with a book and didn't necessarily get to buy the book <laughs> <laughs> but was able to start reading and one of the earliest things I can remember reading about kink was um, Patrick Califia's work and there wasn't necessarily anything about um, boundaries, negotiation, things of that nature, but it was a lot about uh, sexual politics and kink and um, some of the ins and outs, depending on which book you read. And the great thing for me about those books is that you know, there would be a, like not a bibliography, but basically like acknowledgements of mm -hmm. other works. And so I would comb through the back and be like, is that here? Is this here? <laughs> it's like a graduate course in sexuality sitting in the alcove at Borders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wish I could tell you where I, I finally landed on negotiations, but I 
that was the jumping off point. And then yeah. by that point, I was on Usenet and Usenet, I was on particularly in the goth forums. And there's a lot of crossover between people who follow the goth subculture and who are kinky. And I started um, making friends that way. And from there on IRC, and then that finally translated to real life. Wow. That's quite a journey. (laughs) All before the age of 17. (laughs) Dang. (laughs) Oh, sorry, 18. I was 17. So what were some of your favorite activities or how were you, like, were you going to clubs? Was this all one-on-one in a partner's bedroom? Like, how were you doing it? Um, back then, it was all one-on-one because um, I was very underage. Yeah. And I would say there was a lot of, um, hmm. so by that point, I, I was 17 and change. It was just before my 18th birthday. My parents had kicked me out and I was living in another city and my roommate was six years older than I And, you know, his friends were that age group, you know, I'd start hearing things and learning through conversation, not necessarily one-on-one activity all the time. And it's like being a little sponge, you know, you just like absorb everything around you. And so they, being older, were able to go to clubs that I couldn't get into. And so then I'd get to hear the stories afterward and live vicariously. And uh, that was sort of my greater entry into community activities. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And where in here did you discover that you are queer? I came out the summer I turned 13. Wow, you did a lot of stuff a lot younger than most people even know it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It makes me feel old sometimes, though. No, I think it's amazing. So how how did you discover that about yourself? Oh, this is so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so that summer, there was an Aerosmith video that was really popular on MTV, And I wasn't allowed to watch MTV, but that didn't mean that I didn't do it after the parents had gone to bed. (laughs) Anyway, Liv Tyler is in that video Mm -hmm. um, mimicking her father and uh, who's Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. And I just realized, oh, my God, I have such the hots for Liv Tyler. Yeah. And looking back, I could have figured it out a lot earlier, but it wasn't until that video where I was just like, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) There's definitely things going like different ways here. (laughs) (laughs) At what point did you have your... Okay, so we've identified that at that point you had been raised as a girl. So I'm I'm going to say at that point, at what point did you have your first same-sex interaction? Mm, that's a good question. Um, so the first was the first couple were not particularly consensual. 
Oh, no. Um, so I would say consensually, I would have been in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the non-consensual stuff or do you want to leave that aside? Um, I can talk about it a little. Okay. So uh, you know, when I was younger, when people are younger, before they get to know themselves better, you know, mm-hmm. um, before I got to know myself better, I was not capable of being assertive. Yeah. And there were a couple of situations where basically it was like, oh, hey, it would be really hot if you two did whatever. You know, it's like group situations. And so boys asking the girls to do things for the boys' benefit? Basically, yeah. Yeah, and yeah that sucks. I would just be like, uh, okay. And then the other girl would act on it. And I yeah. would just, uh, okay. And then I'd go home and have a panic attack. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, not particularly great experiences. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. Teenage boys suck sometimes. Yes. <laughs> Just to be blunt. Yes. Um, and at what point did you recognize that your gender identity was maybe not female? Um in the general area from mid twenties onward, I knew that I would just say that there's something off. And I had written multiple live journal entries about (laughs) like, I'm just, I'm off. There's something about my gender that is off. I don't know what it is. And then I can't girl properly and I can't, Mm. And I don't know that I I want to. When I was younger, you know, this was the 90s. I didn't know what I was saying was highly problematic. Um, But I would say things like, I really just should have been born a man who likes to dress up as a woman. Like, that makes more sense to me. Yeah. Like, to me, that is what made sense to me. Can you talk about why? What... Yeah, I have so many questions. Please go. <laughs> um, well, I was a tomboy. Mm-hmm. My friends were almost always boys. Um, very rarely, especially after hitting puberty, did I have female friends. Didn't have any, well, in retrospect, yes, but at the time, didn't know anyone who was transgender. No one was out yet. And so I thought these were my options. And I just knew I didn't fit the option I'd been given. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to be masculine, stereotypically so. I wanted to kind of be jacked and have muscles. And did you want a penis? I've definitely had a lot of fantasies about that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's not been a constant. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with past sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. There are times where I'm just like, I don't want to see that put it away. I don't want to think about that. And then if I had one myself, it'd be like, oh no, what do I do with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
So it's hard to say one way or the other, but listeners can't see me right now, but I have on uh, purple eye makeup and purple lip makeup. And back then I would say I was dressing in drag, which I know now to be problematic, but I would go, the only way I would be able to get myself to go to school in high school, because I had such bad um, social phobia and agoraphobia would be to dress like a drag queen. I would have all kinds of like glitter and platform boots and, and wild makeup and just very loud and bright. And Mm -hmm. that made me feel comfortable. (laughs) Was it sort of like your armor? It was my armor, yes. But it was also a welcoming armor because when I dressed in that manner, people would come up to me and say, oh, wow, where'd you get that? Where'd you get this? That looks Mm. great. You know, I've never seen you before. Let me introduce myself, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Versus the days when I wasn't like that, dressed like that and felt um, miserable. I'd hang my hair in my face and like slump over and wear lots of layers of clothing and just try and disappear. Mm-hmm. So it was not just armor, it was confidence. It was also an invitation for that. I, I didn't realize I was giving an invitation, but it turned out to be one. And I'm glad in retrospect that people took it that way because otherwise I probably would never have talked to anyone during high school. <laughs> You mentioned a moment ago that the word drag is problematic. And I would like to ask you to educate me because I am, this is not something I'm familiar with. Yeah, sure. So, um, because I'm an AFAB person, um, assigned female at birth, if I were to do drag, that would mean that I would be dressing up to, to appear more masculine. And then if I was assigned male at birth, if I were doing drag, I would be dressing up to appear more feminine. Mm -hmm. And there's no drag for non-binary people. Yeah. So if if you feel the the urge, um, you can Google why, why is it problematic when... I think most of the articles say women um, say they're dressing up in drag and what they're really doing is they're just um, uh, looking like Patsy from Absolutely Fabulous. <laughs> you know, they're just like really intensely throwing on all the, the heavier makeup and the bigger hair and the higher heels and all of those things. And the drag community or at least vocal members of the drag community, I should say, have said that they find it highly problematic when um, people call that performing drag. Fascinating. Thank you for explaining that. Um, How has your non-binariness affected your sex life, if at all? I'd say it's affected it in good ways because you know, I'll put it on my dating profiles and then that tends to scare away the type of person that I don't really <laughs> want to have anything to do with anyway. That's brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, it's not intentional, but that that's what happens. And in fact, I've had my full vaccination process for uh, COVID 
And so I got back on dating websites and um, I experimented. I was like, okay, so if I'm non-binary, how much traffic do I get? Like how many people swipe on me versus if I'm a woman, because they Mm -hmm. don't really have that many options. And sure enough, if I get rid of the non-binary and I just, and that's the only part that I change, Mm -hmm. then I start getting all of these likes from people that I want nothing to do with. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a really good way of just like, if it, it goes to show if you, if you are yourself, you're more likely to meet your people. Mm. So what is your dating slash romantic slash sex slash kink life look like today? That was a lot of slashes. There's so many <laughs> slashes to be had. Yes. Um, well, so during COVID, during the pandemic, uh, I've had basically the same partner uh, who's really just a friend with, I shouldn't say just, that's a terrible way of saying it, um, who is a friends with benefits. But this is someone that I've known for five years. We used to date and realized we don't feel that way about each other, but the sex is really good and the mm-hmm. friendship is really good. So we became pandemic partners. I love it. Yep. It worked out great because we already knew each other. Um, we are comfortable saying, okay, I need some space because you're on my nerves. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we recently both entered the dating field again, and I've been on uh, four dates um, so far. It's only been a week. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. No, it's been two weeks. It's been two weeks because the first, the first, uh, two dates were socially distanced. Uh-huh. And uh, so far, I'm not meeting anyone that I care to get to really know in that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally, I shouldn't say normally, let me say past me would have seen that as what is wrong with you? Mm. (laughs) And now I'm realizing, no, this is a very good thing. Um, I've become pickier and I've become choosier about who I want to let into my life. I'm not settling. I'm not taking what I can get just because this is available, I'm saying, "Eh, yeah, no, this is not what I want. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. And this is really the first time in my life that I've really been actively doing that. And I love it. (laughs) That's awesome. Where are you in terms of your kink life now? Like, how does that express itself? Well, so in two ways. The first way, my friends with benefits and I, we do some exploring. Mostly I bottom, but occasionally I'll top. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of it is the, the dating side. I've come up with a, a new rule that I've really stuck to, and it seems to be really benefiting me so far. I say in my profile that I'm kinky, and then when people want to talk about what I'm into, like on the third message, I'm like, yeah, no, I don't do that. Um, I like to get to know people first before I start laying out everything I'm into. And that has really, I feel like has really helped me weed people out as well because I'm, 
I'm pretty happy with with my play life, but you know, <laughs> I don't have uh, an emotional partner of any sort, and it'd be great to find someone I have an emotional connection with who's also kinky. But at the same time, I'm non-monogamous, so it's not a must for me. I I'm happy to date people who are asexual. I'm happy to date people who aren't kinky. As long as, you know, we really get along and really connect, you don't have to be kinky to make me happy, basically. Mm -hmm. And so when people want to know about that from the start, I'm like, yeah, that's not where this is going for me. And Mm -hmm. if you're not okay with delaying that conversation, then uh, we're not going to work out. Yeah. How much of your actual sexual activity would you describe as kinky versus, and I wish there was a better word, but quote unquote vanilla? (laughs) Um, So right now I have the sex life that I have with myself and I have the sex life that I have with my friends with benefits. Mm -hmm. I would say that the sex life with myself is, I guess, very vanilla. (laughs) Um, And the sex life I have with my partner is not always about kinky play, but I would say maybe 50% of the time. I get so many messages from listeners saying, thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls and it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex-positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Good Girls Talk About Sex. And speaking of Patreon, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. 
I know that one of the things that you're pretty passionate about is talking about accessibility in the sexual world in general, and also in the kink space. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to just talk for a couple of minutes about what that means to you and kind of what that looks like. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. One of the things it looks like for me is I tend to avoid clubs, dungeons, play spaces, more likely to go to a hotel party. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is not because of what's available, but because what's not available. And, and by that, I mean accessibility. Mm-hmm. So in my area, if you go to a, a public space, um, most of them are are very inaccessible. I tried going to one in this town near me as a volunteer, and they showed me around the space and told me what I was going to do. And then I said, great, so what are your emergency plans? Like, what's your evacuation strategy? What's you know, and they just looked at me and I was like, well, where's your fire extinguisher over by the fireplace area? No, where else in the building? It's a big building. Do people know where the exits are? Are they unlocked? Like, and I just got looks like I had grown three heads all of a sudden. And Mm. for me, that is a dangerous situation and an inaccessible situation for a lot of people with various disabilities not just mobility disabilities, but um, if you think about cognition, if you think about um, anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of different scenarios. So uh, one of the things I do is teach how to make kink more accessible for people with disabilities. And um, working on an accessibility guide that includes um, how to make play spaces more accessible as well. Awesome. I love it. Love it. And now it's time for the lowdown. The things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. Prior to your hysterectomy, did you have sex during your period? Yes, I did. What's the approximate number of sex partners you've had? I couldn't tell you before my separation with my now ex-husband, but I can tell you that since the separation, it's 32. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, Have you ever had sex with someone with a different racial identity than your own? Yes. What's your favorite sex toy? Oh, dear. Uh, Probably just the magic wand. (laughs) What's your favorite sex position? That is contingent on how my body is feeling. Mm. Um, So if my joints are staying in place, then I really like to do reverse person, um, me on top in reverse. Mm -hmm. Um, If my joints are... not staying in place, then I like doggy style. And then when I'm receiving oral, uh, I prefer to be flat on my back. Mm-hmm. And when I'm giving oral, um, it depends on how much pain I'm in. 
Mm-hmm. You just said reverse person. I was like, oh, right. Reverse cow person. Like, what is that? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, do you prefer to initiate or for a partner to initiate in the bedroom? Probably 50-50. Yeah. Are you generally more active or more passive during sex? I'm a pillow person. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Do you prefer clit stimulation or penetration? I don't have a preference. Has penetration become less painful for you over time? Yes. Um, Thanks to pelvic floor therapy Mm -hmm. and lots of different surgeries that I've had and um, got a shout out to Ducky Doolittle for helping me get a pair of blush novelties dilators. Those have been really helpful. Oh, great. Okay. Um, Do you enjoy having your breasts played with? I don't. And uh, okay. So as a non-binary person, do you call them breasts? I do. Okay. And or, or chest. Okay. And do you not enjoy it because there's limited sensation or like, just, is there any body issue going on there for you? It's mostly limited sensation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also, uh, I, a lot of people like to uh, suck on nipples and there's something about that, that just for me, I'm not judging anyone else. You do it if you want to do it, but it squicks me out. Like, <laughs> I I don't like it. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, do you think it's generally easy or challenging for you to orgasm? Very challenging. Yeah. Do you have a sense of satisfaction at the end of a play session if you haven't had an orgasm? Usually, yes. Mm-hmm. Have you ever faked an orgasm? Not in years, <laughs> <laughs> but you used to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you orgasm from intercourse or strap on sex without any additional clit stimulation? I have four times in my life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I love how precise you are. <laughs> Um, do you prefer the orgasm from masturbating or from sex with another person? Usually from masturbating. What kind of touch do you enjoy most? Firm. And is that true regardless of the state of your body and pain levels? Mm-hmm. Um, if you touch me lightly when I'm in pain, it hurts more. Mm. Hmm. What are your hard red lines? Young age play, and by young, I mean younger than adolescent. Mm -hmm. Bodily fluids of all kinds, every single kind. I don't like any bodily fluids. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's like it's a hard red line. (laughs) Um, and I no longer like humiliation or degradation. You did at one point. I did. Yeah. What was the switch for you? Um, I got very ill. I was in the hospital. I couldn't 
sit up on my own. I couldn't get to the bathroom. I couldn't even use a bedpan. I was in so much pain. And I felt it was degrading and humiliating the way the medical establishment was treating me. Um, And a lot of worked in internalized ableism in that as well, in the sense of feeling like I'm not a a full person if I can't toilet myself and things of that nature. And after that, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Um, a hard red line. Yeah. Are there sexual things you've tried that you never want to do again? I'm sure there are. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, things to do with bodily fluid. Um, (laughs) that's high on my list and, um, I don't ever want to do, uh, forced orgasm edging again, either. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, I talk about exasperating. Like if I, (laughs) if I can get there, let me get there because if you keep me from getting there, it's not going to happen later. Yeah. So there are going to be some people who don't know what that means. So can you give a quick description? Sure. So um, edging is where you get really, really close to orgasm, but you don't let yourself orgasm. And then forced edging is a form, some people call it orga- a form of orgasm torture, but orgasm torture can also be when you're forced to have multiple orgasms. So the linguistics can get a little confusing, but basically it's, it's when someone starts withholding your orgasm from you and they're not doing it to be mean. Well, they are doing it to be mean. They're, they're not doing it to, <laughs> to stop you from having fun. How's that? That's better. Um, a lot of people do enjoy that activity. I'm just not one of them. Yeah. It's a perfectly valid kink activity yep. that some people will enjoy and other people will not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do you feel about a partner masturbating without you being present? Have fun. <laughs> how do you feel about a partner watching porn without you being present? As long as you're paying for it. How do you feel about porn yourself? I've done it. (laughs) Oh, have you really? You've performed? Yeah. I want to know. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) Uh, I started in 2004. Mm -hmm. No, actually. Oh, gosh. Um, Technically, it was very illegal and I did a live show when I was 17. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then started back up in 2004. Did that for a few years until six or seven, I guess. And then briefly, two years ago, before the pandemic, I had an OnlyFans and a, you know, I don't even remember what that other site was, um, but was doing some of that for a while. When you say performing, what kinds of performing were you doing? So everything from a live sex show to solo live to clip sites, 
briefly Snapchat, but I got really annoyed with that quickly. <laughs> um, someone called me at three o'clock in the morning on Snapchat and then got pissed off with me when I didn't answer and canceled their subscription. I was like, you know what? <laughs> no, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> How was OnlyFans for you? Uh, it was okay. I actually got more subscribers through the other site that I'm blanking on right now. This was back when OnlyFans was um, from more like a Patreon uh, alternative. And, yeah. you know, there were bands and writers and it wasn't a very big platform and you were allowed to do adult work, but it was not the thing, the place to mm -hmm. do it. So I didn't get a lot of paid whatever through OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. So the performing, which we would consider sex work mm -hmm. that you've done, has it been because you chose to, because you needed to, like, where did that fall for you? Different times in my life, I have really enjoyed it, really needed it, or both. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have radical change in topic? <laughs> Do you have hair down there or are you bare? I am currently bare. Uh, There's a, a funny joke with that. It was kind of done on a dare. So now we're really rhyming here. Um, <laughs> there's someone I'd been talking with for four and a half months. And, you know, when we phone both finally were vaccinated. We decided we were going to hook up. And, uh, you know, he said to me, he's like, you know, I, I think I've only seen someone waxed once in my life. And I was like, that's because on the left, it's a myth. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, leftists don't get waxed. And, and he's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. And so I turned up waxed because I thought it would be funny to prove myself wrong. <laughs> and are you now suffering the after effects of all the hair growing back in? <laughs> it is a bit itchy, yes. <laughs> Have you ever had a threesome or more? Yes. Do you enjoy giving blowjobs or oral sex? No. <laughs> <laughs> when you do give them, because you mentioned that you do, mm -hmm. when you do give them, do you swallow? Sometimes. Mm-hmm. What about it do you not enjoy? Oh, the fluids. The fluids. And yes. also it is very, very painful for for mm -hmm. all of the joints in my head and my neck, my shoulders, my face. Mm -hmm. Um do you enjoy receiving oral sex? I do. Is it is the pleasure any different for you between oral sex versus penetrative sex versus fingers? Very much so. Yeah. Uh, with oral, I can actually feel things because it's, it's, it's a different sensation. It's a different touch. Mm -hmm. um, everything else is sort of ow or, oh, that's a thing that's happening. Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of, it's not, it's not nearly as much fun. Okay. Uh, do you ever worry about how you smell or taste? I used to. Uh, when I was much younger. Mm -hmm. And um, now the only time that I do is when I have to take a 
medication called Peridium, mm -hmm. which I take as needed for urethral and bladder pain. And it turns, anyone who uses it, it turns our urine orangey red. Mm. And so I'm always kind of like, you might not want to do it right now because I get the feeling that I might have like a little bit of an interesting taste and your face might die. So, <laughs> All right. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about receiving ass play? I have a lot of gastrointestinal difficulty. So on the days where I am not having as much difficulty, I'm for it. And the days when I am, I'm like, oh, no, stay away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about giving ass play? That's a complicated one for me. We're not talking about bodily fluids there, but we're talking about bodily excretions. And I'm mm -hmm. just not a fan. Yeah. I find it traumatic. And as long as someone is doing an enema beforehand and I have gloves and things of that nature, then I'm okay. Mm -hmm. What do you consider the kinkiest thing you enjoy? That's a really good question. I mean, it's all subjective, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Would... And this question almost always comes with the disclaimer that everyone has a different scale for what kinky is. Right. For some people, it's sex from behind. And for other people, it's whips and chains. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say that for me, the kinkiest thing I'm into is different scents. And those can be body odors or they can be you know, colognes, perfumes, oils, whatever. But um, I'm very scent sensitive. So different scents really change how I feel uh, sexually. Um, hmm. Gasoline and leather are two scents that just blow my mind in a good way. Wow. Things like um, hemp, I can't stand the smell of. Hmm. So it, it, I would say scent play. Fascinating. I've never heard anyone talk about that before. Uh, do you enjoy dirty talk during sexual encounters? I do with a caveat that there are certain words that I don't like used. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy laughter during sexual encounters? Very much so. Have you ever felt a sexual urge that confused you? Yes. Are you willing to share? No. Okay. <laughs> I love a person with good boundaries. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your body? Favorite part of my body is my, visually my eyes, sensation wise, my skin. Mm. What's your least favorite part of your body? Mm. Probably my abdomen. Mm. What is something about your current sex life that isn't quite as satisfying as you'd like it to be? Oh, man, don't tune in. Um, <laughs> my friend with benefits does not like to perform oral sex. Mm. And so I, I basically went a year without. And I was like, oh, this is, this is not for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally... 
what belief did you have about sex as a child or teenager that you wish you could go back and correct her on now? That it's always violent and that it can be pleasurable and that it can be empowering, that it shouldn't be used as a negotiation tool, that it shouldn't be used as blackmail, that no one should ever force it upon you. Mm. Yes. Kaz, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. Where can people find you? I'm on Instagram as Kaz Killjoy. So that's at C-A-Z-K-I-L-L-J-O-Y. Great. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate all of the time you've taken today and also your willingness to share. Thank you so much for having me, Leah. It's been fun. That's it for today. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. And I'm incredibly grateful for the financial support from Good Girls Talk About Sex community members at Patreon. If you'd like to support me in telling these stories and answering your questions, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. You can find show notes and show transcripts at www.goodgirlstalk.com. To ask a question about your sex life, your desires, or anything to do with female sexuality, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. And before we go, I want to remind you that the things you've probably heard about your sexuality are not true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. I work with women just like you to reflect their true sexual nature back to them without the judgment, shame, or fear that can get in the way of us seeing it for ourselves. As a coach and PJ Party hostess, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. I'm here to help you sink so deeply into your true sexuality that the version of yourself that was scared to speak up for her own needs feels like a mirage from another lifetime. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. Mm